Resurrection, Assembly of God. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. October 17th, 2021. Today's scriptures come from Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 6, Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 through 20, and Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. The Daughters of Zion. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That's in Psalms, by the way. If you haven't noticed, I like to pick a verse and say it over and over and over again for months so that it really, you know, we meditate on God's word. It gets stuck in our heads. It gets deep down in our bones and in our heart so that everything we do is got a little light of God's word shining on it. So... The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The Bible says even rocks will cry out their praise of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I just want to thank God for this earth that he created, that he is still creating. This good earth with beautiful fall trees, with flowers that somehow are still blooming, and crisp fall air and blue skies. All of this earth is his because Jesus is Lord, Lord of all. That's what the kids were shouting last week, if you didn't know. You probably do know. They try really hard to make sure that you know what they're shouting. So last week, Pastor Joseph talked about the authority of Jesus. Jesus has authority. And because just as the joyful noise of those kids rang out last week, Jesus is Lord, Lord of all. So as we approach Mark chapter 5, verse 21, keep the lordship of Christ, his authority over all of creation, his whole goodness in mind as we open up and read Mark chapter 5 starting in verse 21 and when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea then came one of the rulers of the synagogue Jairus by name and seeing him he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, 
You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years old. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Lord, we pray, give us each day our daily bread, the food we need, your life-giving word, and more of you, Jesus, the bread of life. Amen. Now, if you read all of Mark up to this point, it's as if you can step into the excitement of the people. It's story after story of Jesus speaking and acting with authority. Unclean spirits are rebuked, somebody else is healed, the heavens are parted, and the Lord of all creation calms a storm with nothing more than a quick verbal rebuke. Be still. The kingdom of God is near, and Everything is buzzing with anticipation for the miraculous works of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Here, in Mark chapter 5, we have two intertwining stories, which makes the realness of Christ's ministry on earth all the more tangible. Think about it. We don't see Jesus and the disciples making some nice orderly line for people to come and be blessed by Jesus. This is a story that pushes and pulls, that reaches out and hurries to, like real life, it is not cut into neat boxes. The cadence of these two intertwining stories press in around just like the crowd that was surrounding Jesus that day. That day, there may have been a hundred miraculous signs and wonders in the crowd. Which begs the question, why did Mark focus on these two? 
This is a really important question to ask when we read our Bibles. The Gospel of John explicitly says at the very end, now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. There's no lack of abundance of the things that Jesus did in his three-year ministry on earth. And yet, the gospel writers had to choose specific stories. So as we look into this scene in Mark, there is little doubt in my mind that several other people found their healing that day in the crowd or had a profound word of comfort spoken to them by Jesus. The Holy Spirit inspired the gospel writers to document certain stories over others for a reason. Each one has something to teach us about God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and about life in the world to come. These two stories are no different. Even in these two stories, there is too much to unpack to fit into just one sermon. So don't worry, I won't try. I will only focus on a few things. First, this is the story of two daughters. Second, this is a story about the matters of first importance. Jesus, the resurrection and the life. And third, this two-tailed story is our story. So first, I said this is a story of two daughters. It begins with a father, Jairus, pleading on behalf of his daughter, who is 12 years old and about to die, and the woman with the issue of blood whom Jesus calls daughter and who had been slowly suffering as if she were dead for 12 years. Church, it may be easy enough for us to pass this fact by, but it is worth noting when the narrative is about women, because culturally, women were not at the front of the relevance line. Jesus subverts that continually. Luke's gospel begins with believing women and ends with believing women. Mary is called blessed. Jesus continually takes time to move outside of the bounds of cultural propriety to speak to women who would otherwise have been socially exiled. Jesus cares about women. That is important to say. Not just for the women in the room, many of whom who have suffered at the hands of men who did not regard women with the love of Christ. But it is also important for you men in the room who have been told implicitly or explicitly that you carry some larger weight of importance than your sisters. Both of those things are damaging lies that hurt our neighbor and they hurt our church. And while I'm talking about it, this does not mean that the inverse is appropriate or any less damaging. Women, though there is much to celebrate in the image of God we uniquely bear, that does not negate the image our brothers bear. 
It is not more or less important because it is not a competition. Neither one, brother or sister, can wholly reflect the image of the infinite triune God who created us in his image, male and female, he created us. So church, outdo one another in showing honor, and in so doing, show honor to God. But there's more going on here than Jesus making a kingdom statement about the value of women generally. I would argue that God is teaching something about Christ and his kingdom at even another level as we look at the story of two specific daughters. These are two daughters of Israel, daughters of Zion, we might say. One is a 12-year-old girl. The other is a woman who has suffered for 12 years. Now, if you aren't familiar yet, the number 12 pays a significant, plays a significant role in the Bible. It's not like a Christian lucky number. Rather, the number 12 should bring to mind a very specific picture. 12 recalls the 12 sons of Jacob, the 12 tribes of, of Israel, the kingdom of God, of God's people. That is why there are 12 disciples. That is why after Judas passes, they must appoint another disciple to take his place because 11 is insufficient. God has established a new kingdom, a new Israel, with 12 new elders. So when we see these two daughters and we see the number 12, it's not so far a step to call these daughters daughters of Zion. And there is a lot the prophet spoke concerning the daughters of Zion, just like we read in Zephaniah earlier today. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. As we look at this story with the crowds in Israel pressed in all around Jesus with two daughters who need to be saved, it's a picture of the promise of God fulfilled in Christ. Behold, Jesus, the Lord their God is in their midst. And what does he do? He saves. Now, Zephaniah was written with the exile and return in view, but we know that the books of the prophets aren't just about what has happened before Christ came, but they look forward to what will happen in Christ's incarnation and what will happen when he returns. And when we recognize this, it becomes easy to see the ways in which Christ fulfills the prophecy in this moment with these specific women, these daughters of Zion. All of the daughters of Israel, in fact, all of the sons of Israel, have reason to rejoice because Christ the King, the Lord their God, is in their midst. To both of these daughters, he speaks with love. Daughter, he calls the woman with the issue of blood. Go in peace, he tells her. Little girl. Another way we might say it is sweetheart. Arise, he says, in affectionate, life-giving language and quiets the laughter of those who would not believe. 
Rejoice and exult with all of your heart because the king is in your midst and you do not have to fear, only believe. Church, whether Mark saw the whole picture or not, Jesus fulfilled the promise in the loving healing of these two daughters of Zion. He fulfills the promise to these specific women, which was a sign that God was fulfilling the promise to all of Israel and to all of his creation. Church, God leaves the 99 to find the one. He cares about the least of us. He keeps his promises to specific people, and in so doing, God shows himself faithful to all of us. That is why we rejoice with those who rejoice, because when God heals one, we can hold fast to the promise that on the last day, he will heal us all. So, may we rejoice with these two women, because Christ is the fulfillment. God is faithful. He keeps his promises. He will keep his promises. But this story isn't just about the fact that God cares for his daughters or that he is faithful or that this story is confirmation that his kingdom is near even now. It's about another promise too. It's about those matters of first importance. The story of Jesus saving two daughters is a foreshadow of his own death and resurrection. The story of the young girl is perhaps the most obvious. Jairus runs and falls at Jesus' feet. His daughter is about to die, and as the crowd slow Jesus down, as he takes a moment to address the daughter who reaches out to him, as he is in the process of trying to reach out to the little girl, she literally dies. In fact, when Jesus claims that she is only asleep, it seems absolutely absurd. This isn't in my notes, church, but the things we claim as Christians to this dying and hopeless world seem absolutely absurd, but they are not. The mourners even laugh at such a ridiculous claim. But Jesus says, arise. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. The connection here is pretty plain. A dead girl, arise, and rise she does. But she isn't the only resurrection in this story. The woman with the issue of blood also foreshadows resurrection. Let me unpack this one a little more. We see again the connection of these two daughters. As the younger one is born, the older, 12 years, remember, the older is no longer able to give birth. Twelve years she suffered. Not only was she not able to bear life in her womb, but the very bleeding was in a way its own death. See, the Old Testament law tells us that there is life in the blood. In the sacrificial system, that means that the blood is what atones for death, which are the wages of sin. The the Levitical law also states that a menstruating woman is ceremonially unclean. 
Not morally, it's not a moral issue, but a prophetic one. The blood shed is shedding the life, it is the life leaving. And we know that this woman could no longer bear life, and she bled for 12 years. Being unclean meant she was unable to function normally within the community and bleeding for 12 years. We know by modern medicine and maybe by experience would make her very weak. Though she was alive, death was in her body. But it becomes even more apparent as she, with great audacity, reaches out to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. She had to be down on the ground, lying in the dust, weak and tired, much like the dead, to be able to reach out and grab Jesus' hem. And just as she feels the life-giving power of the Lord, her God, the King who saves, enter into her body and save her from this living death, Jesus feels in his own body the power of that healing, the cost of life. Remember the movement of this story. Down Jairus falls. Up he goes with Jesus. Out she reaches to touch even the hem of his garment as Jesus is reaching out through the crowds to get to Jairus' little girl. Down the girl lies, dead in her bed. Up she arises as she hears the voice of her God call her back to life. Down and up, push and pull, God meets his people reaching to him and he leaves the crowd and reaches out to them, to us. This is the beauty of the story of these two daughters. Church, Christ is risen. Death no longer has a sting. The grave has no victory because one day Jesus will call all of his church, just like the little girl, just like the woman who suffered long, and up we will rise as we feel the power of the resurrected Lord course through our bodies and give us new and unending life in him. This is the story of two daughters. This is the story of Jesus, the resurrection, and the life. And this is our story. Church, it's our story. Jesus cares for women. Jesus cares for these specific women. These specific women foreshadow the truth of the resurrection, which is the story in which we are all living right now, men and women, young and old. We live in a land of death. It's not hard to see it. Even as we prayed earlier, we as a church mourn with three different families this week who have suffered the loss of their family members. Some in this building right now may feel like the woman with the issue of blood. You might have been suffering in one way or another. You may have been suffering for quite some time. Some of us, like Jairus, are desperate for our children, 
for our families, for our friends, or our neighbors. Some, like the little girl, have already fallen asleep. But let me be clear, in this land, in our suffering, even in our death, we witness to the goodness of God. Christ has died, church. And our sufferings complete and are made complete in the suffering of Christ. He knows our pain, and in our pain, we show the world the love of God who suffers with us and who suffers for us. Jesus, who bled for us, who died for us. So, if you are suffering today, if you have suffered long, if you have watched your family fall asleep, take heart because you are living out the story of Christ, and Christ is risen. Church, just as the woman who had not died but lived as though she was already dead, was made alive and new in Christ, just as the girl who had died from illness rose up from her deathbed at the loving command of her Lord, we will all experience the resurrection power bought by the blood of Jesus on the cross. There is life in the blood, church, and that is why we eat the bread and drink the cup and remember the one who shed his blood for us. Because Christ is risen, death is defeated. Because his grave was empty, we can be sure that our graves will empty too. Christ will come again, church. God is faithful. We have assurance that this story is our story because God has promised eternal life for those who fear, who fear not, and only believe. We do not mourn like those with no hope because God is faithful to his daughters, to his people, and what he promises we can hold fast to. Bio, wherever you are, will you come back up? Thank you. Church. We will have life in the world to come. We will inherit the imperishable kingdom because the story of these women is the story of Christ and the story of his church. And the story of Christ and his church is our story. So in him we live and move and have our being. And so, daughters and sons, Let's sing, let's rejoice, let's be glad because the God of all creation is faithful because he is the author and perfecter of our faith. When he is faithful to one, we have assurance he will be faithful to us all. Christ lives and so shall we. So in these trying times when we must look in the face of death, let's mourn like those who do have hope. Let us also rejoice because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Amen. I invite you to stand with me and prepare your hearts.